When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to uh, another midweek edition of Courtside Fracker. Um, myself and Sai here tonight, we're just going to go over the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, so, first off, pleasantries. Sai, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, brother. I'm doing well. Good, good, good. Um, and uh, anyone who listened to the pod and heard me on Sunday will be happy to know I'm doing a lot better after my <laughs> my boys' Game 7, uh, as opposed to where it was previously. Um, but yeah, it, it's, to be honest... Uh, it's an Eastern Conference Finals that maybe wasn't the um, expected turnout. I think a lot of people had Bucks, Toronto as their favourites to go through. But if I'm completely honest, it's probably one that's a lot more fun for me. Obviously, obviously, I've got my uh, own investment in the in the teams and that, of course. But I don't know, man. I think the Bucks being a bit formulaic and Toronto not really having that star power. I think it would have been interesting finals, but I think I think Miami Boston can definitely um, bring a lot more unexpectedness, a lot more of a wow factor, a lot more offense that, than uh, the other ones might have done. Um, and so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, so for those that haven't been in the loop, uh, spoiler alert: obviously I've just gone over it, but it is now the Miami Heat against the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. By the time this goes up, it will probably be listened to on Tuesday morning. So that is tonight. That's 11.30 p.m. Tuesday night, this evening, if you're listening, um, UK time. Um, Sai, how how are you feeling about this matchup? I think that's my view on it. it? It's it's the more fun one and maybe the more unexpected one and the more interesting characters in it. But but what's your take? I'm definitely in agreement there. I think... um... Going into the regular season, a lot of the time, people pick up on who the sort of analyst favourites are and they run with that narrative throughout the course of the season. But the fact of the matter is, is the regular season versus the postseason, total different demands. Um, we saw it last year with Toronto going all the way and basically just making short work of the Milwaukee Bucks. So to see them in the same position where they're one of the favourites to make it out the East and for them to fall short. Me personally, I wasn't surprised by it. Um, I've, I've been posting crystal balls uh, ever since that series ended because I predicted Miami in five and they delivered. So I'm pretty chuffed about that personally. I think I was one shy of you on Miami in six. Uh, I wanted to give Giannis a little bit more credit than, uh, than, than he earned in the end. Um, 
But yeah, man, like, I mean, anyone who's, again, listened to every episode of the pod will have heard me on episode one, bigging up the heat, will have heard me on episode three, bigging up the heat, will have heard me on the Eastern Conference preview. I think that was episode four. Big I love the heat this year. Um, it's funny, like, I think I've mentioned it before, but my missus, who's a very casual basketball watcher, and will sort of come in and out while it's on the room and uh, on in the room and, and like certain players based off what she sees. She's still confused that Miami are so good because for the last two years, all she's heard me say is, nah, they're washed. Nah, they're washed. They're miles off it. They're miles off it. And then just in the space of one off-season of signing Jimmy Butler um, in free agency, drafting Tyler Harrell, um, Duncan Robinson, new addition this year as well, I believe. Um, uh, massive, massive difference. Bam's transformation. Um and also now fast forward into the end of this year, it's not something that really took place in the regular season so much, but the um, post, the, the deadline, post-deadline moves of uh, Iguodala and Jay Crowder coming in. Like, Correct. Just a lot of good players. You've got, still got Goran Dragic there, who's been amazing in these playoffs. Um, and they've just, the attitude's changed, the player and personnel has changed, the style has changed. They weren't, anyone's favourites to come into to this finals. I think um, they got a nice first round in terms of Indiana. And I think, I don't know about yourself, but I had that down as a sweep pretty easy because I had Miami as a real yeah. hot shooting good team and Indiana as just a standard a team. A meh team. Um, especially without Sabonis. Um, but then I think everyone kind of, not us, as, as the Twitter will attest to, but a lot of the media... A lot of these people kind of had them as just being the um, the carpet for the Bucks to to walk across to get to the finals, and um, powered by that kind of Jimmy Butler personality, they basically just smacked the Bucks in the mouth, <laughs> left left the shock. Um, and honestly, they've just been one of the most fun teams to watch all season. They're shooting like no one else in the league. Um, they are the still the best. Um, three-point shooting team that are left in the playoffs, except for, actually, I think Denver have just just picked them because of Jamal Murray's ridiculous heroics in the playoffs. Um, but they're an amazing three-point shooting team. They've got interior presence with Bam and Jimmy, and they've got good defense. They've got bodies. They've got a lot of numbers. They're quite deep, which is, we'll go into in a little bit. But they're just fun, man. And there's that heat culture, which is often... I think that's probably, probably the key for me is all of the pieces that they've added are just guys who, from a professional standpoint and a defensive standpoint, are a direct cultural fit with what the Miami mm -hmm. have been renowned for doing since pretty much Spolstra came in. Um, they are a defensive-focused team at the end of the day, and they're, they're able to switch different looks on pretty much any team at the minute because of how deep their roster is and obviously the personnel they have at, on the wings, there's not too many teams that can boast a better, better lineup. So, um, yeah, they're, they're impressive. And as you said, the most important thing, which is, is a bit of a, a weird thing to say in the postseason, is they are a fun team to watch. They're active. Uh, they're cohesive. They're aggressive. Like all of those things that sort of make, make the game of basketball what it is they do embody that. So it's a good, good story. Um, and, and I guess looking across at their opponents, there's, there's a bit of a good story there as well. Um, obviously, we've come through the Kyrie debacle. Um, 
<laughs> which I have to bring up, have to bring up with with uh, my resident Nets fan in in the building. But like, it, it, when Kyrie decided to leave um, the Boston Celtics last off season, people were writing it off as a complete disaster. I think you had media heads um, in America saying they wanted Kyrie and AD. They've got Kemba and Ennis Cantor purposely being a bit ridiculous with that. But it was seen as a massive failure to not capitalise on the squad that people had tipped to be the best in the East last year and, and favourites to reach the finals. It was seen as a real unknown. Um, so people talked about Toronto as an unknown without Kawhi, but Boston, people forget, was a real unknown coming into the season in that you lost a vet in Marcus Morris, a really important vet in Al Horford, um, a superstar in Kyrie Irving, Boston, as it was, did not have a lot of cap space. Gordon Hayward last year, last season, was still a shadow of what they'd signed from Utah in free agency. Um, you did have still that Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum core, but with Marcus Smart, but it was seen as a failure of that experiment. And for them to get Kemba Walker in free agency, that was probably a, a best case move at the time, getting maybe saving face with a bit of a star, statistically similar to Kyrie. Um, Ennis Cantor on a little cheat deal, just to solidify stuff. Um, but the Horford loss was big. The Irving loss was seen as big. Um, and then there was the whole question mark around Haywood if he'd come back to be any sort of a player, really. Um, and Boston, in their own way, of, of sort of turned that story on his head this season as well. Yeah, most definitely. I think I think that for me is is more of a it's less of a surprise for me just based on the fact that I didn't feel like Kyrie was a good personnel fit in any capacity. Well, you, you talk um, about culture again, right? Correct. In terms of the Heat finding the right pieces for them, Kyrie never, as a fan, never really fit. The it just never. I don't know, man. Like there was just, especially off of coming off someone like Isaiah Thomas, who'd captured the fan base so much for being just this gritty guy performing above his station, and then even just the jobbers like Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder and uh, Kelly Olynyk. Funnily enough, two yeah. players like <laughs> people who were a really good unit, a really good team, um, who were sort of playing above their station to then have LeBron's sidekick come through, um, who was isn't the most gritty star and he is he does say some things which don't lend himself favorably to some fan bases in the media so you want to talk culture that's a perfect example right correct i think i think most importantly it's the profile of player that they were getting Kyrie's whole sort of transition from the cavaliers to boston was shrouded by talk of him wanting his own team and wanting to be batman not wanting to be robin anymore and all of this sort of narrative-driven uh, circus, if you will, as you like to describe it. Um, coming into a team where you've got... I only two... call it that because I had to go through it, mate, honestly. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you had two young guys who, for all intents and purposes, were an immediate Batman and Robin type of setup. You've got the high-end prospect in Tatum and the top, top quality all around the in uh, Jalen Brown. So to have those two pieces and then get a guy who's coming in with all the expectation, all the 
media attention and then a little bit of a reputation for being hard to work with you've got exercise in how not to not to enable the growth of a young prospect and um, i think as well i mean on the topic of eastern conference finals what was tough is that these two guys and funnily enough terry rosier and al horford had yeah. um had got to an eastern conference finals and pushed that eastern conference finals to a game seven tatum in his rookie okay. year uh, Brown in his sophomore second year the year before so there was this real thing of well maybe they've developed too fast where do they fit everything 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 so I think it is um, interesting to to note that they did get to an Eastern Conference final I think in a weaker East if I'm honest than it is now um, had the year of, of Kyrie being fit and, and there and the Hayward issue coming back and rah 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 um, disaster to the Bucks. Uh, won the first game, got bounced out 4-1 afterwards. And now they're back sort of where I guess their developmental trajectory had them back in another Eastern Conference final with both players looking much more refined, much more effective, much more, much more rounded as players. Um, and I don't know, I think for all, the, for all the moaning about the Kyrie stuff last year, I reckon it probably had a beneficial uh, impact on those two long term in that one it was a lot of scrutiny for them to play under which I think you can you can react two ways to and they seem to have come out of positively in terms of just working through it firming it and developing and two as soon as that guy left even with Kemba coming in there was no real debate about whose team this was moving forward Kemba you want to talk culture again Kemba come in and essentially first words were I just want to win as a team and I just want to help these guys flourish basically um so again that that flip is is huge and then there's the Hayward situation so he's not been all-star Gordon Hayward this year but he's had a really good season he's had uh injury issues there was a broken hand there was a a, a, a foot issue and now obviously he's got an ankle issue in the bubble which has not helped things and I was really concerned with how that was going to impact the Toronto series but he's had a good year, man, and he's sort of settled in. He was another issue that last season. He's settled into a bit of a role, good ball handler, can go into the mid-range, can be a spot-up shooter. But again, it's it's enabling just everyone to get their points, get their buckets, get their time on the ball, get their shots off. Um, and it's just very, very cohesive. And I think that's an interesting kind of way to come back around in that you've got these two teams who they don't have Giannis, um, they don't have coach of the year Nick Nurse um, arguably they don't even have stars the size of Embiid and Simmons arguably um, but what both these teams have more than I think anyone else in the East is great coaches great cultures that have been developed over this season with new pieces Butler Kemba uh, in particular um, and I think both over the course of the season are really deserving of this of this conference finals so Obviously, the regular season's a bit in the past now. What was Miami's kind of trip to the finals? So they came into the playoffs as a fourth seed, I believe. So first first game was the Indiana Pacers. So what was their trip from, from there up until this point now? As, as we mentioned, they just were playing a very, very good brand of defensive basketball. Um, their ability to basically just adjust to whatever an offense throws at them makes them quite a unique team. Um, I know I touched on the way the Raptors approach 
going about the game on a defensive standpoint. Uh, but I think the the difference between uh, the Heat and, say, the Raptors is they do have an X-factor in uh, Jimmy Butler. Um, for me, he's just shown them how to be a very, very high-character team. And we've seen that over the course of the playoffs. Uh, going into the first round, you had the little narrative of TJ Warren versus Jimmy Butler. TJ Warren having had like an extremely good bubble uh, performance and Jimmy Butler pretty much just made it a total afterthought. Uh, Completely. Obi. I think I think that, that TJ Warren bubble performance is what gassed Obi into thinking it might might be something of a series. But, uh, yeah, pretty much. but it, just, it just wasn't. They just did their business. And I think that's what Miami are about yeah. a little bit. Like under the radar, just go in, do your thing, bam, we're out, we got the win, sorted. And that's the thing. I think I think one of the one of the best things about the Heat, in terms of getting into this playoffs, um, is the fact that we are seeing that Eric Spolstra over the course of his career has maybe been underappreciated. Um, so not only has the likes of Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, all of these guys, they play with a chip on their shoulder, but I genuinely believe that Spolstra coaches with a chip on his shoulder too. Just always seems to figure out a way to create a little bit of an edge for his team. And that, that that's what playoff basketball is about. Uh, they pretty much went from the Pacers series into the Milwaukee series without really missing a beat. Um, and that, that, that is a testament to their mentality as well as Spolstra's ability to get these guys ready for those moments and coach adequately at this level. When you say when you say Spolstra has that chip on his shoulder, what what do you put that down to? Do you think that's not getting the due credit that his successes have Most deserved because of the LeBron thing or, or what? Yeah, definitely. I think co- coaching in the NBA is a strange one because a lot of guys get opportunities based on the look. Uh, Steve Nash, in particular, there um, we go. Yeah, <laughs> had to throw that one in there. Um, but yeah, joke, jokes aside, it's, it's quite interesting to see how many guys in the NBA who sort of work their way through the ranks to head coaching positions, they usually end up in situations where their, their influence over the team is maybe diminished by stars. Um, mm. Spolster at, at the time was somewhat of an afterthought. It was LeBron, Wade, Bosch, and then Ray Allen. Like, that's all anyone really spoke about. When in fact, like even during during their run to the title, obviously the first year they showed a bit of naivety and lost to the Mavs. But after that, you started to see them curate a real defensive identity and a high tempo to their game. And there was that grit and determination that a young coach at the time and these superstar players, it all seemed to mesh and really, really accentuated what their culture was. If you fast forward to where they are now, They've been treading water for a long time and haven't really been been able to find a, a solid formula. As you said, they've been pretty pretty bad for the last couple of seasons. Whereas now, again, they've got young pieces of guys that have gone undrafted. They've got a real gritty superstar. They've got all these other guys who just have a real air of determination about them. And now it's all falling back into place. And I think... This is like Spolstra 2.0 almost. Mm. As an experienced coach with younger players and one superstar who sort of bucks the trend of what a superstar looks well, like. Well, this is what I was going to say. Like Even you saying the word superstar, 
Jimmy Butler is very much a superstar in terms of just him as a personality and everything. Okay. But he, a few commentators have commented on it. He's like almost a winner without the wins to back it, right? So he yeah. is the most sort of anti-superstar superstar that there probably is in the NBA. So that's very, okay. very fitting with what team they've become, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think it rubs off on a lot of these other guys. He's He's got the experience to feed into the undrafted guys or the late draft picks mm. to say, listen, you can make whatever you want in this league as long as you work hard and if you have the right mentality. Then he can speak to the budding superstars and say, add a bio and say, listen, once you get that position, you got to work even harder to maintain it, as he showed when he, when he broke through uh, for the Chicago Bulls. So it's... It's quite interesting, man. And most, most importantly is no matter how close a game is, a lot of these guys over the course of the playoffs and Jimmy Butler in particular previously to this playoffs, they just know how to turn up in big moments. Mm. So, I mean, that's, that's a great context of what the team is. And I think that is why, to us on the pod anyway, and I'm not even saying that in a I told you so way, because I was actually quite surprised. I just love this Heat team which makes this conference finals very tough for me. Um, I just love this Heat team. And so I expected them to go into the Buck series and come out with a win. And then when I started asking all the guys, um, and Janine, uh, guys and girl, for their shouts in the group chat and stuff, I was like, oh, what? Everyone's on the Heat like that. And I think just everyone's seeing, we're, we're quite fortunate in everyone that we talk to on the pod that they kind of see what we see and, and watching and stuff. And I think everyone's seeing That's that. Awesome. What? Except them. Except for the Russ Ventures and that bronze sexual. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, like, they kind of saw what we saw going into that series. And I think that's what really carried them through against the Bucks. Because, again, like, it was just, wow. Before the Bucks knew what was happening, they were, they were one or two down in that, in that Eastern Conference semifinal. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's, that's what you look for at, at the end of the day. Like, for me, basketball is more about intangibles and like real real IQ more than just talent alone. I think there's a lot of talented guys in the league at the top end and there's a few of them who don't necessarily have the highest IQ, but they're just supremely talented. Um, whereas I think the East has become the purest conference over the last couple of years, especially um, if not, if it's always been like that. Um, You've got the West where there's the glamour, there's the warm weather, all of that stuff. Whereas in the East, you do have to earn every every sort of game over the course of a season realistically because if you play the West, you're expected to lose. And if you're at the top end of the East, you know that you're going to get, you might get to the latter stages of the playoffs, but you're going to be overmatched once you get against the Western Conference team. So... Mm. You sort of have to you have to find a real identity as early as possible if you're an Eastern Conference team, and I feel like each each team in the East this season has had a specific play style. You've got obviously the the sort of transition of the Toronto Raptors. You got an ISO ball and kick out of the Milwaukee Bucks. You got a grit and determination of the Heat, and then you got your boys who have a bit of a hybrid style where they can do the ISO stuff, but primarily it's all about well-drilled team basketball with those sprinklings of mm. superstar talent. So but I think, I think that's, that's a good shout on kind of what I think has really shown in that 
Toronto Raptors series. I'll get on to the Celtics in a second and their kind of trip to the finals. But what was it um, about the Heat that really stood out for you against Milwaukee? Uh, basically, their suffocation of Giannis to begin with. Um, they just didn't give him an easy time at all. Um, and they punished, they punished the fact that the Bucks have tried to cheat on defense all season. Mm. Uh, the Heat are a lot more versatile than I think a lot of people really gave him credit for. Obviously, you came, they came in with the statistic of being the best three-point shooting team. But that's by no means all they're good at. They've got Adebayo and Olenek who can do the big man roles, both, both types of big man role even. Olenek is one of the best stretch fours or fives, whichever one you want to play him at in the NBA in terms of hitting pick and pop shots, uh, draining shots from free. And he's got decent footwork in the, in the post as well. So he's one of those all-arounders, whereas Bam Adebayo is just pure energy, aggressiveness on the, on the boards and extremely stifling defense. So I just felt like the Bucks were overmatched. Um, they needed somebody else to step up. And funnily enough, when Yanis was out, they managed to nick a game. Um, but yeah, outside of that, like they, they, they just don't, I, I don't think the Bucks ever really moved the ball well enough and really feel like they had enough ways to hurt one of the better teams in the East. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you t- touched on the shooting there. Um, and I think people, ca- I think you made a good point in that people can easily just dismiss the Heat as a shooting team. Whereas mm-hmm. my worry coming into this as a Celtics fan is that they are an incredible shooting team, but you also have to worry about Dragic coming in off pick and rolls and, and getting his layups and in the paint. You have to worry about Bam just being ridiculous and able to guard small guys, big guys, everyone, essentially, um, and being a menace in the in the paint and around the rim. And I think Bam, to be honest, was... Um, the Celtics did lose to the Heat in the bubble, and I think Bam was Bam Adebayo was the biggest reason for that, personally. He just became with such intensity, and he was, just, he was just a joke. But then you do go back to the shooting, and you've got... For the season, you've got Duncan Robinson, basically 45% from three. Um, you've got Goran Dragic, just league average. Then you've got Jay Crowder, who had a bit of a dip recently, but is hitting 40, over 40% from three. More selective on his on his attempts. Tyler Hero, who's just under 40% from three in a rookie season. Kelly Olenek doesn't have many attempts a game, but he's 40% on those attempts um, because he's so selective with them um, from the bench. And then, okay, cool. You have got... Uh, you know, your Jimmy and your Kendrick Nunn and and players like that and Bam who aren't three-point shooters. But when you have percentages like that and the looks that are being created for them like that and people with the confidence to hit those shots, that's just nearly impossible to defend. Um, And you add that to the fact that your Iguodala, Crowder, Bam, Butler lineup with another guard, maybe a hero, can basically defend anyone that you put on the floor. Um, and it starts to sound stressful for me as a fan who's just come through the yeah. uh, Toronto series of, of everything um, being just all about being stifled on defence and everything like that to now come into this. Uh, in the playoffs, what gives me some solace is that the Heat are only <laughs> fourth in defensive rating um, with us being first. But then 
you look at their offense and when it comes to net rating, we're almost neck and neck, the Celtics and the Heat. Um, we have the number one defense and the number seven offense in the playoffs. They have the number four defense and the number four offense in the playoffs. It's really, really tight. Net ratings have a sliver between them. Um, and we're generally quite good at defending from three, but weren't in a few games against Toronto um, where we did let Van Vliet and Lowry sort of get their shots off. So it's going to be an interesting one. I think, yeah, you, you touched on some key bits, obviously. The game that the Heat did win against you guys, um, they didn't even have Butler, did they? I think he was set out for that game. Oh, yeah, Butler was out for that one. So, Which, which in a way, made it almost more artificial that they really lent into the shooting. Yeah. So, I guess with Butler on the floor, it was basically Bam plus four shooters yeah. at times, right? So, yeah, the Butler factor, it doesn't help, but, you know, it changes things slightly. But I would expect he, them to, I'd expect them to revisit that, though. Um, I think this is, this is the type of series where it's going to take the bench to win um, even more, more so than some other, other series. I think um, there's been a lot of talk, Shaq, saying you need the others to win a chip. And I think this is that type of series. I think in the nine playoff games that, that have been played, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six um, Heat players in double figures. They don't lean too heavily on any one man. And that's, that's what you want uh, from this type of team. Um, Toronto sort of flattered to deceive in certain instances. Nobody really shot all that well when it came down to individual play to get them competitive again. Whereas all season, they've been more known as, as, as a team-oriented uh, offensive unit. So obviously, if the Heat can do one better and basically make sure that nobody ever gets too cold and everyone stays at a respectable level of shooting, the sky's the limit for them. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, stop you, talk, you talk about double figures, you're talking points, right? Yeah. But yeah. it's not even the points. Like, when you actually look through their roster, like, and again, we'll get on to the Celtics in a minute and not make this a Heat podcast, but, yeah. like, they are deserving of, of this praise. They've been yeah. exceptional. But it's not just the points, it's the minutes. So the reason right. I had to clarify that is the Celtics, for example, we have our five without Hayward um, and Brad Wanamaker, who is two years in the league at 30 years old. Um, does a job, but by no means a star. And then Grant Williams plays some good minutes, but he's a defensive rookie. And if you're a rookie, it's usually the defence that comes later. So there's an issue there. And then Shemi Ojale is hitting the floor. So it's like, whoa. Um, now we've got some good centre rotation. Okay, cool. But you look at the heat. Bam Adebayo is averaging 35 minutes a game. Jimmy Butler is averaging 35 minutes a game. Goran Dragic is a yeah, 47, uh, 40, 34.7, sorry. Uh, Tyler Hero, 32. Jay Crowder, 30. So that's that's th five on nowhere near to 40 minutes, 42 minutes in the playoffs because Duncan Robinson's on 26. Iguodala's on 20. Kendrick Nunn's on 13 when they just want a, a refresher for somebody to lock up a guard. Uh, and then Kelly Olenek's coming in for, for 13 because he can just be a problem from deep and, and be, a bit of, be a bit of size. He's not the best rim protector, but he is there for a bit of size. Um, you've even got that MAGA you, Myers Leonard. We won't get into the politics, yeah. but, but, um, but they, they go deep. So that's, that's nine guys who you can 
rely on Olenek and none maybe in more limited minutes, but that's nine guys who you can rely on. They are good, good NBA players. Whereas the Celtics, if Hayward even comes back, um, he's expected to, but he'll be looking for fitness and stuff. From my eyes, have six, seven, um, and they've just come out of a game seven, and it was an exhausting series, and it was a mentally tough series, and it was a series that could have been ended sooner on two different occasions, and it wasn't. Um, and my worry for the Celtics is how much that fatigue might have set in physically and mentally. Um, yeah, and, and we'll see. But what I will sort of talk on now is, is how the Celtics got here because I feel like whilst that's a concern for me with the amount of minutes that the key guys have played, it's also given me some confidence in that first series was basically a write-off. We played uh, a Philadelphia without Ben Simmons and a shadow of Joel Embiid, which who knows. Well, I worried that. going into that as well, weren't you? In terms I mean, of if Embiid could show up. Uh, I, I, we're not going to make this an Embiid one, but on one of the Patreon pods, I just was, I'd be embarrassed if that was my franchise yeah. superstar in the condition he holds himself in, in the tantrums he throws when, when things don't go his way, um, in how he doesn't show up. Like, yeah, man, I, I, I can't rate the guy. But that was, a, that was a sweep. That was 4-0. Cool. We move on. And then the Toronto series is kind of what like the the basketball nerds in the media had been wanting to see for a long time because you had two really, really good coaches, really thoughtful coaches who tried things all the time, relatively young coaches. And then you had really well-matched teams. And um, the story has been sort of documented on the podcast to this point, but this is the first time I'm recording anything since, since winning the series. So I'll go into at least the last three. Um, two nil up. Should have gone 3-0 up, 0.5 seconds left. OG Ananobi, I done told you lot, it's on site if he comes to London. But now that we've won, <laughs> it's all right. I'll forgive him. Um, game four, they get 2-2. Two, two. Game five, we get, but make it 3-2. Three, uh, three, <laughs> and then they get um, a double overtime win to make it 3-3. Three, three. And yeah, we get game seven. And by that point, they, they are on their last legs and we were comfortably better in game seven. But we were having to play heavy minutes. Um, and honestly, that was one of the best series I think I've ever watched in terms oh, of just 100%. not knowing what way a quarter is going to go because of what the coaches are trying, because you'd have um, Tatum having one great game and then they nullify him and he'd struggle the next game and then Brown stepping up and then them playing some box and one that you don't see in the NBA ever to nullify Kemba where he's getting single figure points. Um, it was amazing as a fan to watch it. Now my worry is, is the consequence of that fatigue on us. What I will say is we talked about Tatum and Brown growing a little bit last year through adversity. I Marcus, feel like those, smart, th those, well, Marcus Smart, let me get on to because he's my, favourite Celtic hands down and has been from day one. But um, Jalen Brown to an extent, but more so Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart, to be fair, you visibly saw them grow throughout that series. Great. Tatum was getting blitzed in double teams in the first couple of games. By the last game, by six and seven, he was passing out of things that I haven't seen him do as a Celtic up until this point. Marcus Smart was hitting points totals and hitting shots that He'll streakily hit in the season, 
but you were confident they were going in. He was coming up in big, big moments. Again, Marcus Smart is a guy who's very famous for these uh, winning plays, as Celtic fans and the coaching staff call them. The intangibles that you don't see on the stat sheet, the extra little tip on a pass, the diving on the floor for a loose ball, um, the saving something from going out of bounds and falling into... Well, not fans now, but fans usually like, <laughs> that's what he's about. But he, he added to that with points, steals, blocks, assists, big time. Um, and you saw these players, because Marcus Smart's 26 years old, he's still a relatively young playoff performer. Um, you saw these players properly grow through the series. Jalen Brown, to an extent as well, has become one of our most reliable store, uh, scorers. Very good on-board defender. Like for all the joke about Siakam having a shit series, the game he had that was good was when Jalen Brown just had his worst night. So there needs to be credit attributed to that as well for how effective a defender Brown is. Tatum effective defensively. Daniel Tice, who came out of Europe three years ago, um, has played his best basketball in some of these playoff minutes. So whilst that Toronto series has wrecked my head and my stamina, and I'm still tired from it, and that's just watching, um, it has given me some hope that, you know what, I think there are levels to these players that maybe haven't been reached yet. I think it will be interesting to see what Kemba does. I don't know if the Heat will lean into locking him up as much as Toronto did, but at the same time, they have more size and, and more players who can just naturally defend him. So, yeah. so we'll see how that one goes. But it's an interesting one, man. I think this is where we sort of start to get into how they match up. Um, generally when we're locked in when we're on it we are good at defending the perimeter yeah. Brown is Brown is good at, at defending the perimeter Smart is good at defending the perimeter Tatum has a lot of length to block shots um, Rob Williams is again playing his best basketball of his Celtics career in this playoffs uh, by no mean a finished article but he's been electric around the rim Um and just providing energy. So you do wonder who they're going to throw at Bam. Um, Daniel Tice is a little bit small and undersized. Grant Williams hasn't got the length, but again, very good defender in terms of post-ups and, and defending shooters. Got a tiny fingernail to a key Van, uh, Van Vliet shot towards the end of that game seven. Um, and then you've got Ennis Cantor, who for all the jokes about Ennis Cantor, can be used tactically sometimes in terms yeah. of rebounding and stuff like that. So be interesting to see if he sees any minutes um, and it's just a weird one I just feel like we have come through what will be surely that's going to be our toughest series I can't see the Miami series being tougher that doesn't mean we're going to win it because yeah. we might not bring the same intensity and level of play but I think we're just so versatile um, and have seen so many offensive players come through and develop in their own little way that I'm really excited to see how this Toronto series might have set us up for new things that we hadn't expected. Spolstra plays his own defense quite regularly, to be honest. So having just gone against zones so often will probably help us against Miami. And there is the Hayward factor. If we can get Hayward back, then that's a huge, huge help. Um, if he's in any sort of shape as a ball handler, that's a huge, huge help. Where do you see the Celtics getting most success in this series? I think they might need to avoid having Kemba play as many minutes as he did in the last series. Um, he got exposed on defense and that that's, that's a scary proposition when you're going against a team that shoots the lights out 
through making an extra pass. Um, so if it does ever get into a close contest, they're just going to start abusing the pick and roll to get him to switch off. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've got then you've got basically Jimmy Butler, who in one on one situations is one of the better players in in in, in the league. So, but, I mean, yeah. you say you say play Kemba less, and I think you're right in that. My concern signing him was our first thing. I was like, yeah, great, Kemba's a lot of fun, but the playoffs and who the hell are you going to hide him on to defend? Um, I think he put in a good shift against Toronto, but he's obviously got his natural limits. And you're right. I think yeah. unless you have him on someone particularly small like a Hero or a Robinson who can shoot amazingly well, he's not going to be able to guard anyone else in that series, really. But, like you say, if you're playing him less minutes, I agree, I think that might be a way to go. Who are you giving those minutes to? And if Hayward's not back, so then that, that's a huge... If it's huge not problem. Hayward, then then you guys are a bit short in terms of uh, players. I, I haven't seen too much of Romeo Langford, but he's played... Yeah, he's been next to no, no I'm not expecting to see Langford at all. Langford looks okay, but I mean, it's going to burn me forever, like I'd say in the group chat pretty much every time he gets a bucket that we were one pick away from Tyler Harrow, and I'm pretty sure we would have picked Tyler Harrow, <laughs> and we ended up with Romeo Langford, but hey, that's okay. I don't expect to see him. I think we're stuck with our sort of six, seven rotation, and you're right, I think I think it's, uh, it's going to be tough. Do you see Tatum? I mean, I, I, it goes without saying that Tatum is key to this series. But do you see him being able to step it up a level based off what you saw against Toronto? Or do you think, think it's too soon the, for him? That would be the hope. Um, I think as, as much as he did ascend in some instances, you did see the the part of him that maybe is a little bit naive still. Um, there are a lot of plays in that double overtime game where Tatum was at fault. Um, yeah, no yeah, 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 yeah. You're throwing the he ball was- out. He was caught. He was caught. It was indecisive. He was caught not quite knowing whether to go for a tough mid-ranger, go to the rim and get contact, uh, which they prevented him from doing very well, or play an extra pass, which he's clearly not entirely comfortable yet with. He he was caught out. But on on the same token, I do think if he he gets going early, that decisiveness is just going to come through because... You guys have faced more adversity in that Toronto series than you probably ever will again in their playoff careers. Like, let's be real, like that game, that double overtime game is pretty much as tough as it's going to get. It's very, very rare that you get that many opportunities to win or lose a game. Um, And obviously you lost on that occasion, but you moved into that game seven and the confidence looked a lot higher. They sort of got a second wind. Um, and everyone just looked a lot more comfortable with the situation. So, I don't know. That type of thing does these younger players a lot of good. It, if anything, alleviates the pressure a bit. They know that they can go into mm. quarters. It will just be a case of getting the balance right with maybe staggering a few guys' minutes to give them a little bit more rest because they are going to have to fight for every single shot that they, that they put up. Um, so, just finding a balance with the guys that come in for them is going to be, for me, the vital component. You might have to extend the roster just a little bit, to be perfectly honest. Like, Looked out of that roster site and I cannot tell you where it's going to get extended. <laughs> I think 
Brad Stevens, the coach, has said Hayward will be back at some point in this series. He was involved in a shoot-around before Game 7, so he's out of quarantine and clearly able to shoot, if not play a full game off of his ankle sprain. Um, if I'm completely honest, I think we'll, we'll veer into maybe not explicit prediction territory just yet, but looking ahead to, to what will be those deciding factors. If he's not back by Game 2, um, I think it could potentially be beyond us. I think Miami are just that sort of team now where if we want to talk about where their um, strengths are and advantages are, the Celtics shoot the ball well, but they don't shoot the ball amazingly well. Yeah. Um, and they, they just can be streaky. There's just nights where nothing seems to fall. And it's a bit of a weird Celtics phenomenon. We had a... We had a... We had a 20% from three game, I think it was game, can't remember, there was a game against Toronto anyway, um, where we got 20% from three. And then the stat sheet came on and of the last five teams to do that in the playoffs, we'd done it like two or three times. So it's just a weird little work yeah. of the Stevens era. Um, and and it ha happening against Toronto. There were some nights we were really strong from three, some nights we just weren't. And you credit Toronto for that. I don't think the... Miami Heat defense is quite that level, but at the same time, it can get a bit streaky, and you do worry that the Heat, that when they get so hot, excuse the pun, if they go up one game, and then we're going into a second, again a bit leggy without Haywood, and we're we're playing with that a little bit. I think yeah, that could just just do us. So if Haywood takes another two games to get back, and isn't back till game three, he could be coming back to a series as already very much in the balance um trying to get up to speed and all that that's well this is the thing you, you only have to look at the clippers for if you look at harold and lou williams like it's not a coincidence that okay you saw all this thing oh they can't play playoff basketball whatever. but it's not a coincidence those two guys were quarantined and jumped straight back into play and haven't quite caught up with everything um exactly. and that's the worry with haywood i think miami We'll spend a bit of time on now. They just have so many ways to win it. I mean, I think um, for all that they were unexpected to do this, you look at the matchup, and I'd say they have they could have a hot night from Robinson, Dragic, Butler could get to the line fourteen times because the Celtics haven't been amazing with um, preventing people from getting to the free throw line, and that's Jimmy yeah. Butler's new thing. Um, whereas the Celtics, you are really looking at Tatum. Um, who is on 25 points, 10 rebounds, and four assists, which is the real sort of optimistic thing in these playoffs. But then you're looking at Brown, 21 points a game. Um, but then like, in these playoffs, okay, Kemba's got 19. But again, that's a 19, which can be as, as big as 30 and as low as 10. So that's a funny 19. And then Smart has uh, picked up his slack with, with 13 a game. But again, that can be a 20, that can be a 7. So... You, you look at the Celtics roster and you're going to need Tatum and Brown to be on it every single night. Whereas the, the Heat, you do feel like if Dragic and Butler have an off night, that's fine because Crowder and Harrow can just bomb things in. Um, and, and yeah, that's my concern. Um, but I guess another way to look at it is just typical sort of playoff basketball can be decided by who has the best player on the floor. Precisely. So who do you see as the top three players in this series who could be the decisive guys? Tatum, number one. It's got to be Butler, number two. And 
number three would be Jalen Brown. See, yeah, it's interesting you say that, you know. I, I would have Butler first. You would? I, I would. I don't know. Yes, he can't shoot like Tatum. Yes, all of this, all of this. But again, it's that experience, it's that personality, it's that leadership. And I just feel like, it's already in this playoffs, Butler's won games seemingly by himself. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia last year, he won games that he seemed to will their way towards winning. I feel like of the top five, we probably have three of them. I'd say, I'd say Butler first for me, Tatum and Brown maybe maybe second third, but then then you've got Bam, yeah, and and I ha- I don't know if Bam is below Jalen Brown in in a playoff series in terms of his versatility and how hard he is to guard. So what makes you put Tatum above an Adebayo and above a Butler? So mainly mainly the fact that they're going to be able to protect him on defense. Like, they're going to be able to make sure that he preserves enough energy for him to basically go to work in moments where the ball movement isn't getting you guys the best shot. Um, And in those situations, if he can manage to isolate one of the younger guys, get a few post-ups and just get going through a few isolation plays, I feel like he can get going and open up for everybody else. Whereas Jimmy Butler, as, as, as dope as the guy is, he's not as good an ISO player for me. He doesn't shoot as well from every area on the court for me. And ultimately, he doesn't have that youth. Like, he's as good as Jimmy Butler is and as much energy and aggression he shows – the fact of the matter is, is if you if you target a player like him, one area of his game is going to suffer a little bit. If you make him guard the best player on the op- opposition team, he's not going to score as much. And if he's scoring mm-hmm. as much, they're going to try and protect him on defense. And without a Marcus Smart, without a Jalen Brown as sort of backup, uh, sort of uh, guys who can just step in and do those energy plays and just sort of do the grit and grind on defense there's more there's more of a strain on a butler than there is Tatum and I think that can be the difference I think you've brought up an amazing point there in matchups because now I hadn't really thought about who will be on who who do you put on Tatum do you put butler on Tatum and allow and allow Brown to sort of get get someone else who's maybe not as good lockdown you'd see Brown and Butler maybe as as the best, most equal and most obvious matchup. But then Tatum really struggled against Kyle Lowry in the last series just because of Lowry's experience, his quick hands, his his steals, which Butler, I feel like, could replicate really well. Now, this wouldn't be my first instinct, but just thinking about it, I think it's something that they could do. But then it goes back to what you said about wasting his energy to lock down Tatum. Who who do you put on Tatum? Who do you put on Brown? Um, And then do do you do that? without having to worry so much about Kemba and the centre and, and Smart. Who what, you mentioned, what you mentioned early on is uh, Spolstra's uh, usage of the zone. I think mm. that's going to be key. Um, they're going to try and avoid situations where they're having guys mark Tatum on a one-on-one basis and they're going to look to be a bit smarter because unless you throw someone like a, I'd, I'd say a Iguodala could do a good job just mm. apply a bit of savviness on the young guy. That's probably the best way to do it. 
um, try and keep them out of transition as well. That's going to be key. So yeah. the Miami Heat are going to have to protect the ball a lot better than they did in the latter stages of the um, Milwaukee series. Um, so it's just going to be be about being savvy. I, I don't want to focus too much on individual matchups because I don't feel like we're going to see long stretches where a Butler and a Tatum just go head to head. I think they're both going to try and avoid that. And both teams have enough looks to throw at the star men. Um, I do think in, in, in those situations where Jimmy does ISO, the Celtics are definitely better equipped to deal with that just in terms of pace, in terms of length, in terms of all of that stuff, um, and the youthfulness in the legs. So I'd say, I'd say we'll, see, we'll see some odd matchups, I would say. I want to see Iggy a lot more on Tatum. I want to see Butler maybe go on Kemba, um, just to try and stifle him out of the game a bit. And then we'll see on the other side, Tatum get protected a bit until crunch time, maybe. Yeah, I think I think Heat with their depth could definitely do that oddness could come from them sort of doing shifts almost. Yeah, so much. so Crowder and Butler can rotate onto onto Brown quite well physically. Um, Kemba, yeah, you could you could put Butler on there, but then also you could give Kendrick nine minutes on Kemba. Like, I know, okay, it's it's a savvy savvy uh, guy with great handles and all this sort of stuff, but Kendrick Nunn is a very very good defender. Um, and then yeah, and then Iggy on Tatum, Butler. You can't. I think it'll be an interesting one. I think the zone. My only hope is that there were moments where we looked really good about against the zone against Toronto, where we sort of had cracked it, and it involved drive and kick. But it wasn't so much drive and kick. It was sort of send it out, cut with the ball almost, then pop it out the other side and look for that extra pass, and that confused Toronto a little bit. So I guess I guess I'm I'm hopeful that people like Kemba. Um, if he's not the focus of all the attention, if they do go Tatum for that, hopefully Kemba can can spot some some moments to sort of get on the ball and and get some layups and get to the line. Um, but even just this, like, there's a lot of what ifs in this series. I, I think Toronto was almost easier to call um, in terms of matchups. So I, I, it's a lot of what ifs, man. And I think I think the first game will be really interesting. But I wouldn't be surprised to see. Matchups change, defensive schemes change. Um, I don't think it will be as crazy as Toronto-Boston in terms of you've got three schemes from Toronto in the same quarter and all this sort of mad stuff where you're having to actually listen to the commentary just to stay up to date with what's going on. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I think I think there's a lot to to think about here and to, to watch out for, and I think it's going to be a really interesting series. Now it's it's crunch time, and it is just prediction central. So. Before going into the big ones of, of, of who you've got, who do you see being the biggest X factor in this series? So away from Tatum, away from Brown, away from Butler, away from Bam, who do you see as them be them having their average night to having a, a top night they can have being able to change things and swing things? I think Jay Crowder is one that I've got my eye on. Um, I expect him to be in that corner waiting for waiting for a kick out. Um, the Celtics are very active on defense, um, which means that that help is going to come anytime someone gets in trouble. So there's going to be those kick out opportunities. Mm-hmm. Just to move that ball, extra pass. And Jay Crowder is good at making an extra pass as well. So 
Again, you've got guys like Hero who, in crunch time, <laughs> was showing a lot against Milwaukee. So, I think um, Hero might be my one, to be honest, in terms of he's being trusted now to be on the floor for Miami at the end of games. Yeah. Which, for a rookie who's not massive and physically freakish, is, is a massive compliment. I think Crowder is a good one because at the end of the day, he seems like the sort of guy who will be pissed that he was traded. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think when he first played us again, or, or the year after us, he played like he was pissed that he was traded from the Celtics. Um, I think Hero might be mine. I think on the Celtics, I think we're just going to need another ridiculous series from Marcus Smart, man. Um, <laughs> and I think he is a guy that comes up big in, in crunch time, but but it's, it's the offense where he's going to need to really, really stay as consistent as he was, not just with the with the shooting, but because he was attempting a load of threes um, and some really tough makes uh, at the rim as well. But his playmaking goes underrated a lot. Everyone thinks Marcus Smart is just this kind of scrappy, talentless, defensive-minded guy. Um, and maybe that's a hangover from his college time or his early years where he couldn't make a shot to save his life. But... There was a point in the summer where I was happy to have him as our starting point guard because his intelligence has improved year on year and he will make passes that you'd be very, very impressed if a star point guard made. Um, and, and he can move the ball. And uh, so I think Smart is, is our guy, man. I think Kemba, you hope, can just get close to 20 a night and some assists, even if defensively he's not going to be that, that huge. Brown and Tatum have to be on it every night. I think... Hero and Dragic are probably mine for Miami, but I think Crowd is a really good shout from you. But Marcus Smart is, I think, yeah, it's oh. undeniable that Marcus Smart is the exact for you guys. Um, and then obviously, it's, it's what Hayward we get back. So if Hayward comes into game two and he's getting 15 points, seven rebounds, and and handling the ball when Kemba's on the bench, happy days. But if Kem if Hayward doesn't look himself until game four then that's, that's us, man. That is us. Um, who do you see as... Who's going to come out of this series with the highest average points total? I've, I've got a feeling... I do have a feeling that you guys will make it through. And in order to do that, you guys... Do you mean player or team? Play, or player, I mean. Oh, fair, fair, fair. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to look past Tatum, to be perfectly honest. I think even um, if we lose the series, it'll end up being Tatum. I think he's going to have to put us on his back like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, as far as Miami, again, it's, it's going to be a star. The stars are going to have to carry at some point during the series, and it's going to be Butler. Butler, 25 points upwards would be amazing for them um, if he averaged out over the course of the series because... I can see him having a couple dud nights um, and a couple big ones. So I'd say Tatum and Butler are going to earn their money in, in this series. It's funny, for the playoffs this year, Butler is leading, but by a fraction over Dragic. They're both averaging about 21, 22 yeah. points a night. So, so I think Dragic will be a big one as well. Um, but yeah, like you say, their, their points are pretty, pretty well, well split across. And, and yeah, I guess you, you alluded to it there, but who, who are you taking in this? Because... The, the Twitter reaction on the Courtside Fracker account seems 
Uh, well, we did a poll on it, and Miami were in the 60s in terms of in terms of uh, the favourite. So I don't know if that's just recency bias because they bumped out the Bucks or or what it is. But um, yeah, Miami are the favourite according to all of our listeners and all of our uh, followers. So you you seem to think we'll do better. So what what are you putting that down to? I feel bad for like switching at the last minute from Miami, but I don't know, man. Like you guys have those those key players in key moments that I just feel have now got that maturity where nothing will really phase them. You guys have had to scrap and claw for absolutely everything. Whereas Miami, even though their brand is very much to play with a chip on their shoulder, they've had a bit of an easy run of it. Um, mm. well, honestly, like they made short work of the Pacers and the Bucks, haven't really been pushed to their limits that can be to your detriment when you get into these latter stages. So as long as, as long as the Celtics can just put their imprint on the game early or the games early and basically put Miami in situations where they have to start to rejig the way that they do things, it's very, very hard to see how talent doesn't prevail in this area. Well, that makes me feel good, mate, because I thought you were going to tell me all night tonight about how the Celtics. Ah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that I was, I was, I was, I'm worried. I guess as a fan, you know, nervous and excited at the same time. But the closer we get to it, the more I just am um, thinking that that Toronto series could very much be the making of these players. Now, I might look stupid in two games because they'll be knackered and and get bounced, but. I don't know, man. I just, yeah, there were players growing before your eyes in that last series. And, and you do feel like, look, there's two ways of looking at it. Either Miami have been had their feet up and, and been well-rested or Miami have had their feet up and maybe won't have that intensity and momentum with them and, and that feeling and that, that drive and that sort of emotion to carry them through. But I, I do see us coming out. Uh, with this but I don't th- I think this is another one that's just looking at six minimum seven likely just because I don't I think there's so many characters on either of these teams that aren't going to allow this series to get out of hand that I could yeah. easily see this going to seven um, which I'm sure will please whichever team comes out of the West because I, I have a funny feeling that the Lakers just well anyway we'll get into that <laughs> on Sunday but um but yeah, man, I'm with you. I think I think Celtics in seven. If I'm if I'm pushed, uh, that might be a bit of optimism on my side. But um, yeah, I just I'm hoping Hayward's back, and I'm hoping that Tatum and Brown um, can grow even more in this series. And I'm hoping that Kemba just manages to exist and and stay on the floor. To be honest, so um, so you guys, because as, as as you pointed out, like I've I've tried to be devil dad devil's advocate and say maybe you guys can extend the minutes to somebody else if shit gets on top, but... Nah, it's, it's peak. I think, I think what we ended up doing, he played off-ball a lot um, to, in parts of Toronto, uh, spot-up shooter, and would just come in at top of the key at really key moments where he'd go ISO and, and try to get some buckets, which he didn't do to great effect, but again, great defensive team. Let's just put it down to that. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm going to finish on that as well. I'm going to say so it's in seven, but I'm going to say... This is going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be a really fun series. Um, I can pretend to like whoever wins, even though we both know that's not the case. But I can pretend <laughs> I'm happy either way. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be like that meme with the the smiley mask and the 
I mean, I, I can't yeah. lie. I, I, I hope you lot get pumped. Of course, everyone does. But listen, <laughs> but listen, that's fine. That's fine. Um, listen, Sai, like I said, uh, those who are listening is probably going to be Tuesday morning when first lock-ins come to this. So it is tonight, Celtics, Miami Heat, Boston Celtics, Eastern Conference Final. Um, I think 10 years ago, it was the Eastern Conference Final as well. So a nice bit of uh, history repeating itself there. Um, 11.30 UK time. Tuesday evening, game one. Um, it's going to be a really, really fun series. Better than what those fancy Western Conference lot are going to going to offer up. Um, yeah, it's going to be really good. A lot of characters, a lot of good uh, players, a lot of good uh, coaching decisions to be made. And, and I think it's going to be a fight. Whoever wins, I think it's going to be a real fight. So definitely encourage any listeners to lock into at least at least the first game and as many as you can uh, can do with the time difference. So I thank you for your time. I know it's a late one what we've done today. Always a pleasure, um, man. Always but yeah, pleasure. likewise, man. And, uh, and yeah, bless up. Sports Social Podcast Network.